I was kind of impressed that Reggie had mentioned that I was speaking this morning and that everybody's still here, so thank you for that. I was also going to tell Reggie that uh, I could tell it was a little bittersweet talking about the Chiefs' win for the Super Bowl because now he's got to wait all the way till next fall to see T Taylor Swift again. So, <laughs> But to start off today with our customary cowboy joke, do you know why cows go dancing? So they can show off their moves. And that's as much of a move as I've got. So. But we're glad that you're here today. And I was thinking that it was uh, several years ago, lots of years ago, I was uh, standing in an office awaiting the biggest decision of my life to be told to me up until that point. I was competing for, with two others for a position uh, of drum major for our marching band. And our marching band was 250 students strong. We were good. We won every competition we went to. We had pride. We had precision. We were there. We were happening. We were the Patriots. And as I wanted to go into my senior year being the drum major, the leader of the band, 250 kids strong, and, and as we awaited there, and as the decision came down, and it wasn't going to be me. It was going to be the other guy. And the reason was is because I played trombone, and he played baritone, and he said that we had more baritones than trombones, so we need you in the section. And I thought, well, that's a lousy excuse, but that's what it was. And so I ended up leading the uh, low brass section of the band and, and throughout that. But, but what a disappointment that was for just a 17-year-old high school kid standing there having all the hopes and dreams and, and this and, and to not get it. Oh, man, I was crushed. I was not doing well at the time. And, and uh, that leads me to ask, how, how, how are you doing today? As, as we greeted people coming in, we all asked pretty much the same question. How are you? How are you doing today? How, how's, it, how's it going today? Are, are you 50% good? Are you 90% good? Are you 30% good? Uh, are you, as you know, if you've ever greeted Isaac as he comes in, he's 98% wonderful, isn't he? We've got to leave 2% for perfection of heaven, but, but we're doing well. So how are you doing today? And I know for you, if you're like me, it, it, I think we are all pretty much together on this. It's easy to be a little bit negative, isn't it, when we think of how we're doing. Oh, this hurts. Oh, that's not going right. Oh, I'm going to have knee surgery next month. I'm really looking forward to being laid up. Yeah, that's, that's just awesome. How are you today? Well, let's today, let's take an example now, don't raise your hand, but, but how many of you had an easy time getting here today? How, how many of you, your kids just got up on their own and said, let's get there early for church? <laughs> I remember when my kids were small, it's like, I'm going to need Jesus by the time I get to church. <laughs> Did your animals cooperate with you this morning? Did they get fed and watered the way they were supposed to? Did the pump in the well go out and everything goes, seems to go crazy on a Sunday morning? Was it, was it a bad, did you have to drive a Chevy? I mean, you know, <laughs> that one's for Isaac. I'm sure I'll hear about it next week. Now, we can talk about trucks all day long, but I don't want to chew up that kind of time. So, but I hope, I hope your happy quotient is closer to 95 than it is to 30. So right now, let's focus on what's going well. 
If I focus on what's going well, I have a place that I get to sleep indoors at night. I, I think that's pretty cool. I have a vehicle that runs quite well most of the time. Even though it's a Ford, it runs really good. I have a job to go to. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an independent contractor, and so sometimes it even pays money when I go to work. That's a good thing. I have a smoker. I have a grill. I have a Blackstone out on the grill, and they make really good food, and I love that, and I love to cook, right? They always say, never trust a skinny cook, so I'm all right. What is it in your life that is going that well? I have a God that loves me. That pretty much makes me 100%. Well, you have a God that loves you too. I hope that shows in your life. But what about when life doesn't go according to plan? Are, are you maybe experiencing a setback today? Is there something that's not quite going right? Good. Good. I'll explain that in a minute. But once upon a time, there was a man, he was named Jacob. He had a brother, Esau, and Jacob had 12 children. And... He loved one of his children, seems like more than the rest. We're going to take a look at Genesis 37 today, if you, if you want to follow along in your, in your uh, Bibles or your pads or something of that nature. But see, Jacob loved his children, but he loved one more than the others, and that was Joseph. And for Joseph, he made a beautiful robe, and Joseph loved wearing that. And I think Joseph was in that teenage years where they got nothing but cockiness about them. And he loved wearing his, his robe of many colors that his father had made for him. And that created a bit of a sibling rivalry, as you can imagine. Having 11 older brothers, that doesn't go well. When you get to wear your cloak and say, hey, <laughs> looks like dad loves me the most. Been there, done that. Yeah, we got some head nods going. Sibling rivalry at its best. These brothers hated Joseph. They couldn't stand him. Because what he would do is they were all shepherds, and, and so Joseph would come out and see what they're doing or see what they're doing wrong, and then, of course, he would go back to Dad and tell him exactly what was going on. They hated him. They couldn't stand him. And what made it worse was this. Let's take a look together. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more and more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed down before mine. His brothers responded, So, you think you're going to be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down low before me. This time he told this dream to his father as well as his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come to bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were being jealous of Joseph, his father wondered, hmm, what does that dream mean? You see, back in this time, three, four thousand years ago, God talked to people through their dreams. Now, he can still do that today. I don't want to discount that. But, but back then, dreams meant something. If you had a dream, you paid attention to it. And you asked God what that dream was all about. And Joseph was no different. What does that dream mean? Do you have a dream? famous speech, I have a dream for a country. 
Do you have a dream that God has put into you? Joseph had a dream, and his brothers hated him for it. And so one day as Joseph came out to see his brothers after he had told them about his dreams and, and he just, he just I don't know what he was doing, but, but his brothers hated him so much that they were thinking of killing him. How, how much is that where you think about killing your own sibling? Now, okay, I shouldn't say that because we've thought about that several times, but, but, but these guys meant it. They were going to kill Joseph, do away with him, and, and just be done with it. But they thought better of it. They, they, they decided not to kill him. Uh, one of the brothers talked him into, hey, how about we just, we just throw him in this pit for a while? They, had an old, they were by an old cistern. And the cisterns of that day weren't quite like the ones today where if you've got a cistern that's nice and concrete and clean. No, these were old pits that held water. They were mucky, muddy bottoms that never dried out. And they threw Joseph in there. And they let him sit for a while. They let him sit there overnight. And they just listened to him scream all night long, letting me out and, and wailing and all of that was. And they're, they're trying to think about what should we do with Joseph? What should we do with him? Should we really kill him? And then one day, a band of traders came by. And they were headed on their way to Egypt. And they had all their spices and things that they were going to sell. And, and they decided to, instead of killing him, they would sell him. And so they pulled their brother up and they sold him to these traders to be taken to Egypt as a slave. Nice, nice brothers. Joseph was taken by his brothers and sold into slavery. Good. Good. Joseph is taken to Egypt. He's sold to a gentleman called Potiphar. And Potiphar puts him in his household and has him do his work there. Potiphar was actually the captain of the guard for Pharaoh of all of Egypt. So Potiphar was a pretty important guy. And, and as Joseph worked as a slave in his household, he, he did things well. He did things with character. And, and Potiphar took notice of this. And, and as he was doing his things, Potiphar gave him a little more to be in charge of. And through the days, a little more to be in charge of. And through the months, a little more to be in charge of. Until the point when Potiphar had him second in all of his household. That he, it says that he was able to just kind of sit back and relax because Joseph had it handled. Think of Potiphar as a huge rancher. And everything on the ranch was, was going smooth because Joseph was in charge of it. How would you handle that? How, how would you like that? That would be pretty good, I think. And then one day as Joseph is taking care of things in the house, he's all alone in the house, and Potiphar's wife comes in. And Potiphar's wife uh, seemed to have a wandering eye. And at this point, we think Joseph was probably sold into slavery as a teenager, so he's maybe in his early 20s now. He's a, he's a good-looking young man. He's, he's rugged and, and ready, well, you know, like this. So <laughs> why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? But no, Joseph was a rugged young man of good looks and high character and did things well, and Potiphar's wife noticed. And one day, Potiphar's wife grabs him by the coat and says, hey, come on. Let's go, let's go in the back. Come on, let's go. Joseph says, no, I can't do that. No, no, come on. And she's so insistent, and he's so emphatic, and, and the only way he can get away is to get away and squirm out of his coat and take off. And she's left there embarrassed with his coat. And so what does she do? She screams out. She screams out, rape, rape. This, this, this Hebrew, this, this Joseph, he, he, he tried to have his way with me, and I, I fought him off, and, and he left his coat behind. Not really what happened, but that's what she said. And Potiphar comes in, and of course he's not pleased 
and he finds Joseph and he throws him in prison. Now there's some more backstory there that I, that makes me wonder why he didn't have Joseph killed, but but he throws him in prison. And Potiphar trusted him. And they noticed when he was successful, but then he was cut out, he had his legs cut out from underneath him. And he's in prison. Life has been upended for Joseph again. Good. Are you a person of character? Do you feel like life has maybe upended you today? Good. Now, now stay with me. Stay with me. We'll, we'll resolve this, I promise. But Joseph is in prison, and God is with Joseph. And God, Joseph is a man of character, and Joseph chooses to, to make the right decisions. And just like in Potiphar's household, in prison, Joseph is, is seen. He's doing the right things. He's doing them well. And people noticed. And Joseph raises again his, his level in prison to where he gets to the point to where it's the, the head jailer, and then Joseph again. He's running the whole prison, and, and because God is with him, the prison is running smoothly and effectively. And the scripture says, sometime later. Now, I've got to believe that this is months and possibly even a few years later that this happens. I, I always like it when we're reading a story, and it's ah, sometime later. But yet, maybe this is three or four years of being stuck in prison, of, of being stuck where you don't want to be stuck, but having to toe the line and be a person of character that whole time. Sometime later, Pharaoh's cupbearer, the kings and pharaohs of that day, had somebody that handed him the royal chalice that, that made sure it wasn't poisoned. They would taste it and, and give it to him. He had, so he had a royal cupbearer. And he also had a royal baker. And one day the baker and the cupbearer show up in prison. Now, I don't know what happened to them. Somehow they got sideways with Pharaoh. Something didn't go right. And they thought that one of these two guys did something horrific, and they sent them both to prison. And through the time of them being there, they, they got to know Joseph because Joseph was in a, an important position. He was in a position of power. And they both, as they're talking, they, they both have dreams, but they, they can't figure out what these dreams are all about. And they talk to Joseph because he's important and say, hey, we've got these dreams. What, what do they mean? And Joseph wisely says, he says, hey, I can't tell you what these dreams mean, but, but I serve a God who can tell you what these dreams mean. He says, tell me your dreams and I'll talk to God about it and we'll see if he answers. And the cupbearer says, he says, well, I had a dream that, that I was holding the cup. I gave it to Pharaoh. I had three clusters of grapes and I squeezed them out into the cup and Pharaoh drank from the cup. He goes, oh, he says, three days you're going to be restored back to your position with Pharaoh. And the baker's pretty excited about that. And so he says, well, Joseph, I had a dream too. He says, I had a basket on top of my head that had three loaves of bread in it. And, and the birds all came down and swooped down onto the basket and they started to eat the bread that was in my basket. And he says, that also means three days. He says, but for you, three days, you're going to be impaled on a pole and, and executed. And three days later, that's exactly what happened. The cupbearer was put back into his position with the pharaoh and put in, so whatever happened got, got resolved and the chief baker was impaled and killed on a pole. Good. Hmm. Good. You see, life will have setbacks. 
two full years later. See, all Joseph wanted is he told the cupbearer, he says, hey, when you get back into Pharaoh, he says, maybe put in a good word for me because, you know, I, I didn't do anything. I'm innocent. Now, actually, Joseph was the first innocent prisoner, but he was innocent. He didn't do anything. And he sat there again for two full years because the cupbearer forgot about him. And two years later then, this time, Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh has wise people around him. Pharaoh has, has servants that uh, allow him to have wisdom. He has sorcerers, not from God, but, but uh, that can perform mighty miracles and, and mighty acts. But they can't tell Pharaoh what it means. Pharaoh gets to the point to where I'm pretty sure he said, he said either somebody tells me what this dream means or people are going to start dying because that's why you're here. You're here to advise me. You're here for your wisdom. You're here to tell me what's going on so I can make wise decisions. And at that point, there's an opportunity. You see, setbacks cause opportunities. Joseph's in prison. Can't do anything about it. But it's at this point that the cupbearer finally remembers, oh, hey, you know what? I had a dream in prison. And there was this guy that could tell me what was going on. Maybe, maybe he can help out. And so he's brought before Pharaoh, and for, Pharaoh asks him, so I hear you can, you can tell me what dreams mean. Joseph wisely says the same thing. I can't tell you what dreams mean, but I follow a God who can. Let me ask God what's going on. Let me hear your dream. And so Pharaoh tells him, he says, I'm standing by a riverbank in this dream, and it's lush, and it's green, and there's seven of the fattest cows you've ever seen, prime beef, the best that there is. And there's these seven skinny, scraggly cows that come up out of the water, and they devour the seven fat cows. He says, I don't get that. And, they, and they, after they did so, they were still gangly and scrawny and not worth anything. And he said, then I had a second dream. He said, he said I was standing in a field of grain, and it was probably the best grain I've ever seen. The heads were tall, the heads were fat, the heads were plump and ready for harvest. And then all of a sudden sprang up seven ugly plants, scaggly, hardly any grain on them, and they devoured the seven plump grain heads. And then they too were not any better for it. Joseph said, huh. He inquired about upon the Lord for it, and he says, this is what's going to happen. He says, you're about to have seven really good years, seven great years. Cattle prices are high. The cows hardly need to eat to get fat. The grain is going to be awesome. Seven great years. We all know what that could be like. He said, but then there's going to be seven years of famine. He said, there's going to be seven years of ugliness and drought to eat up the seven good years. And then not only does he tell him what Pharaoh's dream means, but he goes one step forward. Joseph says, you should, to Pharaoh. Now that's significant. Nobody says, you should, to the king, to the Pharaoh, to the one in charge. People lose their lives for trying to tell the Pharaoh what to do. But Joseph, under God's direction, says, you know what you should do? For the next seven years, take a portion of all the grain and all the food that we can store up and store it in huge barns. That way, on the seven lean years, we'll have food to eat. We'll have stores ready to go. Pharaoh had a choice. He could have killed Joseph right there, but instead, he says, you know what? He says, nobody talks like that to me, and that's the best idea I've ever heard. He says, we're going to do that, and you're going to do that. 
And Pharaoh pulls Joseph out of prison and puts him the second in charge of all of Egypt. Imagine that. Going from the lowest of lows in prison to being put up that the only person in Egypt that had more authority than Joseph was Pharaoh. I think that's pretty good. That's pretty good. You see, because setbacks cause an opportunity, but then also God has a plan. We, we sometimes can't see the plan from, from our narrow perspective of today. But this is probably 18 years worth of Joseph getting thrown in a pit to being the second in command of all of Egypt. That's kind of a wow for me. That's, that's hard to fathom. Phantom, uh, seven good years happened just like Joseph said. Famine hits the second seven years just like Joseph said. And the whole land is without food. The whole land is kind of scrambling. What do, we, what do we do next? There's an interesting side note to this story because in this story at this point, we see the largest financial transfer in the world in history. Because during those seven lean, lean years, when, when people started to run out of food, they didn't know what to do. But they heard, even if they were in other countries, they heard, oh, Egypt's got food. So they took their money, went to Egypt to buy food to survive the seven years. They didn't know it was going to be seven years, but they didn't see an end to it. And so after people brought their money to Egypt to buy food, they, they ran out of money. So what do you do next when you don't have any cash? Well, all I've got is my livestock. So they brought all of the livestock from countries inside and out over to Pharaoh to give to him to trade for food to survive the day. They're out of money. They're out of livestock. The only thing they've got left then is their land. And so they sell Pharaoh all of their land to survive the food. So Egypt has gained all the financial wealth in money, all the cattle and livestock, and all the land. But the famine still isn't over. There's still more to be had. Well, what do I have? I don't have any money. I don't have any cattle. I don't have any land. What's left? Just me. And so people were selling themselves into servitude to Egypt to survive the day. Can you imagine the financial turn that happened for Egypt. Egypt has everything. And Joseph, the scrawny little kid thrown in a well, is second in command of everything. Joseph is in charge of it all because that's where God wanted him. Good. Good. Extreme Ownership is a, is a book I've read recently, and it's a very interesting book read, uh, written by a bunch of Navy SEALs in their time over in Afghanistan and Iraq. And, and they talked about extreme ownership of your decisions. That when things are not going well or when you're planning things, to have extreme ownership in the decisions that you make. Because not everything is going to go according to plan. Pay attention to what's happening in your life. You see, when things don't go right, good. Because when things don't go right, that's a good thing because sometimes things go wrong and go bad, good. There's something of good that can happen out of that. You didn't get that promotion you were hoping for, good. It gives you time to get better at where you're at. You didn't get that job you wanted. You ended up maybe getting hurt or, or getting beat, good. You learned. You have time to improve. You have time to always step somewhere else. When you can still say good, you're still alive. And you still have a chance to get up, dust yourself off, and try again. 
Where is God working in all of this? Because if we put this into Joseph's life, there could be a lot of times where we don't say good. No matter what you've done, you're not finished. You're still here. You're still breathing. You're still listening. You're still moving. You're still hoping for a day tomorrow. Good. You're not done. God is with you. There is a God of creation that did all of this. There is a God that is with you when you are thrown in what you think is the pit of hell. Good. God is there. There is a God that is with you when things aren't going right. Good. God is there. Pay attention to him. Pay attention to what's going on. And by the way, the story isn't over for Joseph either. He doesn't just end on a high note. But through all of this, we figure that at this point now, it's 20 years from when he was thrown in a pit and sold into slavery. 20 years later, good. Because it hit his family as well. This famine is not just an Egypt thing. It's a, it's a region thing. And his family was caught in it too. And it's, it's, I'm going to let you read the rest of the story in Genesis. But, but his brothers end up showing up. And of course, it's 20 years later. So they don't, they don't recognize him as what was his brother. They thought he was dead. They forgot it. They wrote him off a long time ago. But they end up buying grain from Egypt. And his, his brother kind of, Joseph kind of hides himself from him and, and uh, doesn't let him see his face. And he, it says he's, he's caught up because he's so emotional because his family is there. And he can help. And, and it's a unique, you've got to read it. Right? Read the rest of Genesis to find out exactly what happened through this. But, but because of Joseph's position, because his brothers decided they almost were going to kill him, he is now second in charge of Egypt. And he can help his family. And Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph that he welcomes his family in. That he says, your family can move here. They can have the best land. They can have all the food. They did not lose their money. They did not lose their livestock. They did not lose their land. They did not lose their freedom because of Joseph. What's about to happen because of you? Where are you at? You might be in the pit right now going, man, this sucks. Good. Because you still have a pulse. You might be on the mountaintop. Good. You can help others. You can be that shining light of God in the environment and where you are. Good. I'm glad that we can be there together, aren't you? Just think of the possibilities of what God can do to all these people that are just sitting here today. And there's another 300 sitting in line, online watching us. And there will be another 2,000 that watch these messages through the week. That means there are thousands of people impacted by Black Hills Cowboy Church. Good. I'm glad. What can we do today? What can we do tomorrow? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for, I thank you for Black Hills Cowboy Church. What an opportunity to be here. I thank you for the the people of the church. I thank you for the staff and the leadership and that it is good. We look forward to seeing what you are going to do in the days ahead as, as we put our faith and our trust in you. And we thank you all for it. Even during the bad times, God, help us to remember good. We thank you for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here this week. We hope to see you next week. Have a great week. We'll see you.